Parenting teens is hard. Parenting teens in crisis is even harder, and we live in a culture that is really good at hiding. You know, we keep these struggles tucked in real tight around us, and so when something happens in our families that's tough and maybe even a little embarrassing, we feel like we're all alone. I promise you that you're not alone. But you definitely need a place where you can be a part of honest conversations that give a voice to the challenges you're facing. A place that normalizes the hard that we have to walk through with our teenagers. So I'm inviting you to join us on this path towards healing, where we'll discuss topics that drive out shame and teach us how to navigate the emotions and uncertainty that come with parenting a teenager facing the juvenile court system. This twice-monthly podcast is presented by Pathways to Hope Network, and we strive to do all of that while honoring the unyielding love a mother has for her child. Hey, you showed up. I knew you would. Can I just say how proud I am of you today? I mean, you have a hundred other things that you could be doing right now. You have dozens of things that you could be busying yourself with. Countless excuses for why you simply do not have time to pour back into yourself today. And you chose to show up. You chose to be here, not because I matter, but because you matter. And I'm so glad that you did. Beginning with episode 40, we started to talk about a new learning curve that we experience as we transition from parenting our younger middle schoolers to teenagers currently going through their own hard. As parents, we all want to raise our children to be happy and healthy and successful adults. But we're starting to learn that parenting is not exactly a black and white process, right? It requires a lot of effort, a lot of patience, and a ton of dedication. One of the most effective ways to achieve this goal of ultimately ending up with some relatively happy, healthy young adults is by accepting that all of this growing is part of the process. In this episode, we're going to explore what stage four of that learning process looks like how it works, and how you can tell if you're on it. The goal of this mini-series has been to help you understand the four stages of learning any new skill. And that's all we're doing right now. We're trying to learn a new skill. A skill that's going to help us in parenting our teenagers, but also just as humans in general. When we begin to understand each stage of the learning process and what it looks like, it helps to keep us focused on the truth. And the truth is, we are still learning. We are learning and growing and figuring out how to do life better. And our kids have been assigned to be one of our many teachers on this journey. Today's episode is going to be another quick one. And we're moving on to the fourth and final stage of learning, which is unconscious competence. But before we move into that, let's do a quick recap on the stages that we've already covered, okay? 
So in episode 40, we discuss the first stage of learning to parent teens in crisis. And the first stage is called unconscious incompetence. At this stage, we're pretty much clueless about what the correct parenting approach is, and we really have no idea where to begin. We're mostly in a state of shock over being in these circumstances. So in other words, we don't even know what we don't know. In episode 41, we discussed stage two, which is called conscious incompetence. So once we get to stage two, we begin to grow in awareness around our own parenting patterns and the areas where we could use some improvement or at least spend some time reflecting on what's working and what's not working. We start to realize there's actually a lot we don't know. So in other words, now we know that we don't know. And this stage is marked by an awareness that occurs on our part, which wasn't there before. Then in episode 42, we talked about stage three, which is called conscious competence. And at this stage, we start to actively work on improving our parenting skills and we become more intentional in our actions. I have a tendency to believe that the majority of our listeners are either in stage two or stage three. So that should give you some comfort in knowing, man, okay, I'm actually a little further in this process than maybe I thought I was. In stage three, we're actually learning some things and we're able to demonstrate some new skills, but it still requires a ton of focus and effort on our part, right? So we've tried some new things, we've made some adjustments, and we've shifted the way that we think a little bit. In other words, now we know that we know, but knowing isn't quite enough because if we're not deliberate, our default reactions still tend to take over. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that game. In fact, it's part of the learning process, but stage three gives us a reason to celebrate because in this stage, our learning curve actually begins to move upward. You know, this is the point where a lot of times I'll meet with moms and we're meeting, you know, sometimes um, three months, six months, nine months, a year down the road. And they're recognizing, okay, man, I'm still not where I want to be, but I definitely know I'm not where I was. And, you know, they usually look at me and they're like, I feel like I'm doing better. Am I doing better? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're doing better. You're actually doing a lot better than you were. Which brings us to today, the fourth and final stage of learning, which is unconscious competence. At this stage, the skills that we're developing are becoming ingrained in us through repetition. They line up with what feels right to us, our actions and reactions, even if they don't always yield the results that we hope for, are in congruence with what's important to us, and they start to feel more natural and effortless. Listen, I think that we can all agree, especially in this season of our lives, that parenting is one of the most challenging things that we will experience in our life. Seriously. Listen, I have been told that if one wants to become a doctor, the process takes 10 to 14 years. And all I'm saying is that we should definitely get some fancy initials after our names when we survive the teen years. You know, if PhD stands for Doctor of Philosophy and is considered the highest postgraduate degree you can earn, 
I vote we start a movement today that upon our children reaching the age of 18, we all get to add D-E-D after our names for doctor of dedication. Because honestly, tell me one person more dedicated than a mama with a teen in crisis. It just doesn't exist. Coincidentally, it also sounds like dead when you read the initials out loud, which I don't know about you, but also describes what I feel like on the inside during those hard moments. All right, I digress. I'm reeling it back in now. Once upon a time, life was just about us. When we had our children, there was a shift that occurred where they became our main focus. And all along that path, we've looked at how they're doing and used it as a reference point to determine how we're doing. That works great when our kids are doing well, but it's heart-wrenching when they begin to struggle. Do we have a piece in each of our children's struggle? Yes, I believe we do. Our own traumas, our own mistakes, our egos, our fears, our influence, all of it factors into how our children are molded, but it's not 100% of the formula, is it? In one of his talks, psychologist Dr. Russell Barkley, an internationally recognized authority on attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in children and adults, said, you need to understand something that parents have long since forgot and are going to have to relearn again. You do not get to design your children. What we have learned in the last 20 years of research in neuroimaging, behavior genetics, developmental psychology, neuropsychology can be boiled down to this phrase. Your child is born with more than 400 psychological traits that will emerge as they mature and they have nothing to do with you. So the idea that you are going to engineer personalities and IQ and academic achievement and all these other things just isn't true. Your child is not a blank slate on which you get to write. The better view is that your child is a genetic mosaic of your entire extended family, which means this is a unique combination of the traits that run in your family. I like the shepherd view. He says, you are a shepherd. You don't design the sheep. The engineering view makes you responsible for everything, everything that goes right and everything that goes wrong. And this is why parents come to us with such guilt, more guilt than we've ever seen in prior generations because parents today believe it's all about them and what they do. And if they don't get it right or their child has a disability, then they've done something wrong when in fact the opposite is true. This has nothing to do with your particular brand of parenting. So I would rather you stop thinking of yourself as an engineer and step back and say, I am a shepherd to a unique individual. He says shepherds are powerful people. They pick the pastures in which the sheep will graze and develop and grow. They determine whether they are appropriately nourished. They determine whether they are protected from harm. The environment is important, but it doesn't design the sheep. No shepherd is going to turn a sheep into a dog. And yet that is what we see parents trying to do all the time. I think the first time I came across the video of that talk, I sat back in my chair and let out a huge 
breath. It was one that I felt like I had been holding on to for years. You know, I think on some level, we know this, don't we? But hearing an expert say it, someone who actually does have fancy initials after their names and the scientific data to back it up, helped me really put the thoughts I wrestle with into perspective. I'm going to put a link to that video in the show notes below if you're interested in watching the rest of it. The most challenging aspects of parenting for me is just how much effort, patience, and dedication it asks of me. It requires us to do our part as our part begins to reveal itself while also remembering that we are only part of the equation. We are not responsible for every choice our child makes or reaction our child has. That is theirs to carry. The failures belong to them, and so do their successes. I learned this lesson the first time one of our kiddos started making some not-so-great choices. You know, after going through a particularly long season of shame and regret and the unrelenting questions, what could we have done different? There were always tumbling through my mind I was finally able to come to a place of peace which required me to recognize that the credit for every success and failure belongs only to my child and to their creator. Still today, when one of my children is doing something well and I meet someone who tries to give me credit on any of my children in the form of, hey, good job, mom and dad, or you're such a good mom, or you raised a great kid, My knee-jerk reaction is to quickly shut it down. Well, that's all him, I'll say, or all glory goes to God. I mean, we're just fumbling our way through this. You know, I'm not sure if it's healthy or not, but I do think that it helps me to stay in my lane and to keep proper perspective on my truth, the truth that my child's success and my child's failure belongs to them. You know, if I take credit for the good, well, then in my mind, I have to take credit for the bad too. I don't know. So far it's working for me, but I'm sure in episode 143, I'll be talking about how I had to work that all out in therapy and what I've learned. But for now, I try to remember that as a parent, I have influence by example on my child's behavior, but I do not have control. Remember the view of the shepherd. Kim Goody is an actual shepherd, and she has a blog titled Living with Gotlands. Gotlands are actually a specific breed of sheep for those who did not know, which is me. I did not know. Anyway, in 2019, she wrote a blog titled Skills of a Shepherd. And in the blog, she describes seven skills or attributes that make a great shepherd. I'm going to read this to you, and as you listen, see if you catch the similarities to shepherding sheep and parenting teens. Okay, you ready? Skills of a shepherd. Number one, must be tough at heart. Shepherding is not just about sweet lambs and bucolic pastures with sheep grazing. It is about the survival of the fittest. It is about making life and death decisions that will tear your heart apart. Number two, must be willing to do hard work. Shepherding does not just require hard physical labor of moving fences, moving sheep, and handling 40-pound bales of hay. 
It is about heart work. It is about having to do hard things and making hard decisions. It is about learning to go with your instincts and let your gut be your guide. Number three, must be willing to be humbled daily. Proud people need not apply. If there is any one thing that can bring you to your knees, it is shepherding. There will be days when you make the wrong decision, when you overlook the obvious, when the not so obvious will attack and leave you on your knees. If ever you thought you knew it all, forget it. There will always be days when you realize there is much yet to learn. Aren't these so good? All right, number four, must be afraid to learn new things. On a regular basis, you'll be required to learn a new skill, a new task, a new way of doing things. An experienced shepherd once told me as she was coaching me over the phone on how to do an internal exam on a laboring ewe, if you don't want to do it, then you should not be a shepherd. Shepherding will take you out of your comfort zone at times and you have to be willing to step forward. Number five, must have great endurance. Number five, must have great endurance. Shepherds must be willing to work in all adverse weather conditions, rain, sleet, snow, sub-zero degree temperatures, extreme heat, and humidity, and they must be able to keep sheep alive in such adverse conditions. They must be able to work with little sleep, lift with little strength, study with weak knees. Number six, must exhibit ability to observe. One time my husband found me just standing in our paddock area with the sheep. He asked me what I was doing. I responded, getting to know my sheep. It takes great observation and getting to know what normal looks like to identify what is not normal. Oh, that one's good. Number seven, and this is the last one, must have the patience of a saint. Sheep will test you. And you must be able to outlast them and outsmart them. Once you think you have them figured out, they're at it again. Now, never in all the scenarios I considered when doing this podcast, did I ever think that a shepherd's blog would give such profound parenting advice. But here we are. And so, I thank you, Kim Goody for this beautiful reminder. And I'll put a link to her blog in the show notes because after listing these, she goes on to list 10 privileges she's experienced through shepherding. And I'm certain you'll find some similarities there as well. However you choose to look at parenting skills that we pick up during this process of raising our teens, I think we can all agree that one of the most effective ways to get better at them is by practicing. So without further ado, let's get to the topic at hand, which is the fourth and final stage of learning to parent our teen in crisis, unconscious competence. The concept of unconscious competence, also known as the unconscious stage of mastery, is usually associated with learning and developing skills to the point where they become second nature. Now, when it comes to parenting teenagers, 
The unconscious competence stage refers to a level of comfort and ability that we get to when we're able to navigate the challenges that we're facing with our teens with relative ease and without consciously thinking and rethinking and rethinking about every decision and action we take. You know how we can get stuck in that place? Like, I'm not sure what the right thing to do is here. And I don't know how should I handle this and what should I do? So when we get to the place of unconscious competence, we're no longer in that constant cycle. We might enter it occasionally here and there when something new props up, but we've begun to develop our strategy for how we're going to parent and handle the bigger situations that we're facing. Last time I gave the example of driving a car and how when we're first learning to drive a car, it can be so challenging and it requires a lot of concentration for both the driver and the passenger, aka mother held hostage and forced to endure a series of near misses and almost heart attacks. But with repetition and practice, these skills become automatic and you no longer have to think about them consciously. Similarly, in the fourth stage, we as parents reach a level of mastery where we instinctively and intuitively are better at handling various situations with our teenagers. As we seek out different ways to think and respond by listening to podcasts like you're doing right now, by reading books, by asking others we trust, As we grow in our awareness and we look for our part, as we try and fail and try again, we begin to internalize these new parenting skills and ways of being and our responses become more automatic and effortless. We develop a deeper understanding of our teenagers' needs and emotions, a better understanding of their development. As we heal the parts of us that even in the midst of chaos need to grieve over the loss of the family that we dreamed would be ours, we get better at parenting. We learn to be okay with holding the reins a little looser because holding them tight never brought our child closer. And through this beautiful process of losing and finding, we stumble upon our sweet spot. But let me be clear that this stage in parenting teenagers doesn't mean that parents are now somehow infallible. Parenting is a continuous learning process and new challenges will still arise. However, once we get to this stage, we've gained a stronger foundation of knowledge, experience, and intuition, which helps us handle most situations effectively and without as much conscious effort. No matter what stage of learning to parent a teenager in crisis you are in right now, I just want to encourage you. You will get there. This is not your forever. This is a journey. A journey that will have an ending. And I've mentioned this before, but the truth is that in the midst of all these challenges and crises that we experience during these teen years, it can actually be a rewarding journey. Now hear me out before you roll your eyes. Parenting our teens through the hard is a journey that requires us to grow. Think about that for a moment. Our growth 
is actually a required part of the passage through this time in our lives. In this season, we're required to grow in self-awareness. And we do this by looking at ourselves and asking ourselves questions like, what is this triggering in me? What caused this reaction? Why am I having trouble regulating my own emotions? What am I scared of here? We're required to grow in patience. And that might be by learning how to behave patiently. You know, what does that look like? Maybe before our default reaction was to match our child's energy. So when they got loud, we got louder. When they took digs, we took digs. Behaving with patience requires different from us. Sometimes growing in patience is about changing your mindset by shifting thoughts like, he doesn't care about anyone but himself with thoughts like, you know, he's a teenager and he's, he's still learning and growing. And finally, we're required to grow in our intentionality. You know, we're learning to be more intentional about the actions that we take rather than just by being blown about wherever the wind takes us. My guess is that if you looked back on your journey so far, you could probably find at least one thing that was rewarding about how you've grown through this process. And if you can't, well, then I challenge you to be on the lookout for it. Because listen, friend, the reward doesn't show up at the end of this journey in the form of a perfectly modeled young man or young woman who has life completely figured out. Spoiler alert. That's not our happily ever after. Instead, the journey is the reward. Mama, hear that again. The journey, this journey, the one that you're pushing through every day, the love that you refuse to give up on, the fight that you continue to make no matter what ridiculousness your teen brings your way. Your pursuit and example of patience and accountability within yourself. The lessons that you're learning about who you are and who you want to become. The relationships that you're forming with people as they rally around you. The hope that you find in the most unexpected places. The learning to let go of what no longer serves you. The molding and shaping of becoming more and less of that you're enduring. The imaginary degree that you're earning in dedication. This journey is the reward. So don't be so distracted looking forward that you miss out on it. Okay, friends. Well, that wraps it up for this week. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. In complete transparency, I want you to know that I am not in any way, shape, or form an expert in the field of parenting. No, you're not going to find any fancy initials after this name. In fact, you know, I'm just a mom like you who had to navigate some really tough experiences with my teenage kids. And in my own desperate need for hope and healing in my family and in my life, I've spent a lot of time and energy researching and referencing all the things because if there is one thing I have learned, it's that we're stronger together. 
Your ratings and reviews mean so much. In fact, they can make or break a podcast. So if you found this information helpful today, would you take 60 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review? It would mean so much to the mama who hasn't found us yet and to me. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website and be sure to subscribe. Each week, we send out one to two messages that are designed to encourage and equip you as you find your path towards hope and healing. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Pathways to Hope Network is a nonprofit organization with a mission to serve families with children in the juvenile court system, and we do that by providing cost-free support, resources, and community. The link will always be in the show notes below. Remember, you were never meant to go through this alone.